0: What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Hello. I've been thinking about vocal technique this week because I've been, um, you know, I've, I've been at some Anthony Roth Costanzo shows, um, including his most recent performance at New York Philharmonic, which he curated, um which included works by Beethoven, um, Berlioz, uh, Gregory Spears, a world premiere, and then a Julius Eastman piece, which was a New York Philharmonic premiere. What a wonderful show. What a wonderful, wonderful show. And incredible to watch Anthony, you know, sing through what is traditionally mezzo-soprano repertoire, and with such extraordinary musicality and technique, and anyways, It gets me thinking about my own history with music and singing and how, you know, I don't have, I don't have access to, to those muscles anymore, but it's fun to try. It's fun to try. And I watched some, you know, Anthony sang the Berlioz Nui De Song Cycle, those six songs. And, um... So I went online and I listened to, at Anthony's recommendation, I listened to Janet Baker sing the *Nuit d'ete*, which, which is, seemed like a great fit. I, I did considered it, even while watching Anthony do it. I thought, my, 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 who else could even be good at this? Dame Janet Baker. Um, and my God. Please, run, don't walk to YouTube to watch Janet sing these songs. It's absolutely extraordinary. The ease and the clarity and the intonation, the musicality, it's so unbelievable. And then you can go over and watch... um, What is her name? Brigitte? Renee? I'm going to find out for you right now, okay? Um, And it may take a second because I'm not a very good googly, googly, um, just a second, almost there, and I should tell you that, um, it is after midnight on Thursday yet again, Régine Crespin, um, listen to Régine and watch the video of her singing from this song cycle, because it's incredible to watch her face, and body produce sound with such hysterical ease. Like, she's like, I'm like not, I'm asleep, basically. And my facial sounding plate is just like so designed for singing. She looks like a drawing of an opera singer. It's incredible. Her face is just so wide and receptive to phonation. She reverberates the house down. Um, oh wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour myself some water because I feel parched. I just got home. I was out after the opening night performance of Four Quartets, and um, I spent the day in the theater at BAM Opera House. And today I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about revisiting Four Quartets. Okay. I'm just I'm putting an emergency in my water. I oh, hope I hope you're enjoying the ASMR experience. Apparently, emergency is bullshit, but I I choose to believe it. I'm stirring it up with a fork, and I choose to believe it because it makes the whole the whole water drinking experience more pleasurable. Absolutely delicious. Wow. Okay. So, the last time I saw Four Quartets was not long before the shutdown in 2020. Because we toured the show to Los Angeles in, like, February. Or January or February. um, To perform it at UCLA. And it was, uh, you know, uh, when I first saw Four Quartets at Bard and, you know, it was my first encounter with it in this sort of two week residency of producing the costumes and putting the show together and, you know, meeting some of the dancers for the first time and being in literal residence with everybody in the dormitories at Bard. I had some misgivings about Four Quartets and I thought, This show is a lot. You know, it's a lot to take in all at once because it's a a very visual experience. It can at times be sort of visually overwhelming. There's, There's... The scale of the decor is very grand for the most part. And they're very evocative, light cues... And that Clifton Taylor did this beautiful, beautiful lighting and scenic design utilizing these four paintings by Bryce Martin. But the paintings become so much more um, through Clifton's kind of reinvention of them as transparent scrim or sort of sculptural space. One of the paintings is made up of these rectangles that become a series of columns behind which dancers can disappear and reemerge. And so you're not only taking in all of that, but then you're taking in this expansive vocabulary of movement that the, how many dancers are in it? Let's see, Dylan, Zach, Jason, Victor. Those are the male dancers. And then Kara, Christine, Miley, Melissa, Lindsay, Pam. So 10. God, I hope I haven't left someone out. No. I don't think so. And so you're watching 10 dancers, all of whom have kind of their own personal vocabulary of movement within this dance that... That is malleable. You know, they, a lot of people share, share movement. The group has unison movement. That's also, that's also shared through the dancers as solos or parts of duets. And oh, Miley. Ugh, I'm so sorry. I'm sure I said Miley. Did I say Miley? Anyways. So uh, when I first saw Four Quartets, oh, not to mention the sound. So you have the T.S. Eliot poem being read by Kathleen Chalfant of the entirety of Four Quartets. And then you have um, music composed for two violins, a cello, and a harp. Is there a viola? Yeah, I think it's string quartet and harp, and then you have also, sat oh by Kaiasario, the Finnish composer, and then you also have electronic sound, like sound effects. I can't remember what they call it in the program, but it's like sometimes you hear the sound of the sea or the sound of a whisper. Or the sound of wind? Question mark. I have to say that the sounds are the are the element I would first eliminate. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Um, but even at this point in my viewership of the piece, I it all feels somewhat integral. So at Bard, I was struggling to put the pieces together. And I saw all the performances. And then we toured the piece to London and it was, you know, housed in the Barbican Center in this theater that's just so, this is strange to say, but it's very contained. This particular theater at the Barbican Center is, it's very interesting in its architecture, particularly if you're sitting in the audience because each row of seats has its own door. So you can imagine you, you open a little door and the only place that's possible to go is to walk directly into your aisle of very kind of wide velvet seats, like very extremely comfortable as theaters go. And then when you're sitting in the audience, you feel... You're kind of overcome by this, like, what am I, it's hard to, hard to describe the feeling of it, but it's, it's, it's really like being held in what is a rather large space, but the way in which the surfaces and the architecture of the seating is designed, you feel very cozy. And so it's incredibly easy to focus only on the performance and become totally engrossed in it. There is nothing around you to distract. There aren't, there aren't giant pieces of architecture around the proscenium or up in the boxes that like draw the focus upward or to the side. It's a real, it's kind of theater where like it becomes incredibly comfortable to focus. And it is in London that I feel like I, I really got to know four quartets and began to kind of love four quartets and was very happy to revisit it yet again in Los Angeles in 2020. And in 2020, I also was hired on as the understudy for the dance. So at that point, I may have even, I think I was sort of like, I was understudy when we did it at the Barbican, but it was kind of like I didn't, I, was, I hadn't been involved in the rehearsal process and I didn't know any of the dance. But, you know, <laughs> in some crazy situation, like I'm sure I could have jumped in for a couple sections with a little bit of rehearsal. <laughs> that would have been crazy. Mm. Because in reality, Pam would have just rearranged the dance, which is not. Not impossible to do at all. And then once we were going to L.A., I took on the role of understudy in earnest and actually learned quite a bit of the dance and attended all the rehearsals leading up to that particular tour. So then I started to get a more intimate kind of understanding of the material and the structure. And then watching it in L.A., it really took on a whole other kind of life for me. And I found myself feeling very moved by four quartets this time around um i'm no longer the understudy brian lawson who is performing with pam in her works coming up in goldberg at princeton university soon and also for her new work song of songs which will premiere at bard this summer brian lawson is joining the group so brian is now tasked with understudy duties for four four quartets um so I was not involved in the rehearsal process this time around. So I came in to watching the dance today, really after years of not seeing it and watched some of their tech rehearsal. And the only part they ran was the last section. So I sat and watched that. And then I showed up for the show and they brought Stuart and we sat in the audience and I was with Harriet and her date and, Clifton the lighting and decor designer and I just got you know swept away by four quartets and the really the performances by these dancers I cannot I can't say enough about how extraordinary each of these dancers is in this piece it's It's something that is so rare that you can put together a group of performers that is so at once skilled, proficient, while at the same time all being so deeply themselves, so individual. There's no mistaking one for another and each of them brings entirely different qualities to the work. And yet at the same time, they're also very much on the same page about perhaps how this work should feel, or maybe it's just the dance is designed in such a way that that's an inevitability, but it is a- astounding in so many ways. And I talked a bit with Brian Lawson today, cause he was, you know, standing to the side while while dancers were doing notes or something on stage. And he started asking me about, you know, how designing for Pam Tannowitz is different or why it is that, I don't know that he asked this directly, but I, I kind of brought it into the conversation that I think Pam's work is so important and has been so profoundly important to me in the last several years. And... You know, we talked about how Pam is perhaps the only person who's who's been able to collate her desires and interests in dance into this product that is unlike what anyone else has done, in my experience, because... You know, when you think about Merce Cunningham, which is so present in the work, you know, Pam Pam has a lot of interest in the kind of physical universe of Merce Cunningham and has often employed dancers who worked for Merce Cunningham, two of whom are in four quartets, Dylan Crossman and Melissa Tugood. And also many of the cast members were also involved in in many Cunningham reconstructions and in night of a hundred solos, et cetera. So like Cunningham is no stranger to the dancers and to Pam Tanowitz herself. And she, and, and, you know, we all understand, or, you know, Merce's body of work is huge. Right. And, and, um, I think people who come to Merce's work without knowing much about it are often, or they can struggle with its lack of connection to music or its lack of sentimentality. Um, I think that sometimes people would might say that the work is cold or the work is, you know, entirely physical, but I mean, obviously if you know anything about dance, you know, that's not true. There's like this incredible world of emotion and psychology in Merce's work that's there if you want it to be. Um, And that is what's so exciting about it is that it's not a dance that demands you understand it in a specific way Merce's works often had a lot of space for interpretation, viewer, for the viewer's interpretation. Um, and Pam certainly has, has some of those, has some of that physicality in her work. and And at times like that space, that exists between movement and music. And it, and it means that each performance will be different from the next. Now, Pam's work is certainly more closely tied to music, but not tied to music in the way where there's this obvious synchronicity that's just always occurring, where you know that the dance will be performed in time to the music. And and by time, I mean rhythmic, rhythmic time. But with Pam, not all of the phrase work is devised in a way where it, you know, each step is to a beat. It's these phrases that are danced often through the music and find their way into synchronicity through landmarks. And so the experience changes with each performance and is so It's such a relief for me. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes dances that are musical in a traditional way, if they're danced well, there is certainly a spontaneity that can be found in them. You know, like watching Sarah Mearns and Russell Jansen do Mozartiana, as I discussed last week, like it is as if they're just dancing to music that they're hearing in that moment but that's not often the case. So at any rate, I am having this talk with Brian. We're talking about like why Pam's work is important to us. And it's not just about like Pam bringing together her desires and her loves of Balanchine and Robbins and Cunningham and Graham and um um gosh, there's just like so many American influences that are present in in Pam's work, but um what also matters so deeply is is you know Pam herself and her kind of attitude and her generosity and her her gratitude her, her gratitude for just being able to make dance, you know, Pam, Pam has never been an entitled dance maker. You know, she doesn't take it for granted that she's allowed to work with these incredible dancers and now on these incredible stages, um, with incredible musicians and artists. This has been, an incredibly long process for Pam she her interest in dance is not about fame or or asserting a kind of rightness in the work she makes Pam's work is a hundred percent about her curiosity in various forms that comes together in this really really beautiful way because it's kind of this it's not only dance steps in the way that sometimes Merce's work really was like dance steps Pam is really interested in the relationship between the music and the dance or the text and the dance and also you know her work because of her interest in film has this very kind of scenic quality to it. Um, yeah, it's very emotional. Once you really get to know the work, it's like each 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 viewing of the dance is such a gift. So I'm so, anyways, I'm so grateful that I'm able to see the work so frequently and that I was able to see four quartets again. Um, see her work. If it confuses you, watch it again. If, if you need recommendations or a way in, just ask me, send me a message. I'm happy to help to guide you towards clips of things. I think there's, there's an entire performance of a piece she made called Gustave Le Grey. That's online through the Kennedy Center. Um, platform that's a great dance she made for miami city ballet and dance theater of harlem there's a, a wonderful short documentary about goldberg variations where it's pam in conversation with simona Dinnerstein, who is the pianist um, where you get to see clips of of goldberg variations which is a heavenly work that pam made um prior to making four quartets um and i'm sure there's Clips of other things online, and I'll 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 do a little digging if if you need help. Um, I can't say enough good things about Pam because not only do I love her work, I just love her. She is genuinely kind and generous, and fun and funny, and uh, and smart and curious. I mean, I can't, I just can't say enough good things. I feel so lucky that Harriet and I are part of the Pam Tanowitz universe and her body of work, which I feel strong, really, really strongly about as a body of work that will have, will hopefully have reverberations into the 21st century for other dance makers because it's the kind of dance that I want to see and that I want for other people to get acclimated to so that they can also find themselves in it. Pam's work is has availability for all people to see themselves in it. It's not it's not dances for straight people or dances for queer people or, you know, it's really dances for everyone. Where somehow, I think all people can find themselves in the work, which is very unlike much dance being made where I think often it is really Designed to be a reflection of a very heteronormative, um, conventionally gendered universe, which is not the universe that I live in, certainly. And also in Pam's work, you know, though she's working with dancers between the ages of, you know, 25 and 45 which is a huge range, it's not huge in the context of life, but you can see people at various stages of life experience in her work. It doesn't feel specifically for the young. It's not like watching a piece that is about naive young people, which I think so much, a lot of dance, particularly in ballet, can feel like. It's funny to keep bringing ballet into this conversation but Pam um for better or for worse is is being ushered into the universe of of ballet which is a place that is in search of of new solutions to questions about what ballet can continue offering into the future and I think because Pam's work kind of scratches a technical itch that sort of necessary inside of ballet trained bodies, or it it is a part of how they understand movement. I think that um, Pam is logical. Pam's work is logical fit for trying on ballet companies and I mean to see her own dancers do her work is a very different experience than seeing a ballet company do her work. Ballet companies don't have the kind of time and depth of understanding that Pam's own dancers have so it's somewhat more superficial or or curious or sort of surprised whereas Pam's own dancers are so deeply inside of it at this point it's unbelievable and yet you know to see Bartok Ballet last week as danced by dancers in New York City Ballet who for the most part have had time at the with the work you know a couple of years since the last time they did it but it's not it's not their first go around and this time they had a rehearsal process in which they kind of redesigned the piece and got to know it again and got to make it their own again and it and i think the piece became a lot more real this time and i think it will only continue to grow as they continue performing it so please go see Bartok Ballet when it comes back in a, soon like a week and definitely if you are listening to this tomorrow which is friday Go see four quartets tonight or tomorrow. Those are your only chances. <clears throat> and then that may be it for four quartets. There's no future plans for the work to be performed. Um, so do it. And look, I know that people, people struggle with Pam's work, and that's okay. And I, there's no shame in, in, in struggling with it and also like maybe you don't like it and that's also fine um but I would encourage you to really try again because it certainly it wasn't love at first sight for me the many years ago when I first saw Pam's work and it it took years for me to fall in love in the way that I am now where I'm 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 devout at this point and I I'm surprised every time. Actually, I'm surprised every time I sit down and watch a Pam Tanowitz performance at how how simple things and how movements of the human body can can surprise me and and move me and teach me something about being alive. So I guess this episode of the podcast is. Kind of just a love letter to Pam Tanowitz and to thank Pam and her work and her dancers for for making this matter for making making me feel like my my chosen career is really worthwhile, um, and it, you know there are other choreographers who Harriet and I work for where I have this experience and feel grateful and also like so happy to be involved in these conversation and these processes and super privileged to, to make a living involved in a conversation about dance, which is a thing that at this point I've devoted so many years to. So Pam and her work just propel me towards a future in dance and make me feel sure in knowing that i want to continue asking questions about dance because when i see pam's work i feel sure that dance matters and is ultimately for me the most effective performed art and there you have it, folks. J'adore Pam Sanowitz. I'm sorry this episode wasn't funny at all. Are you watching The Gilded Age? It's so good. So fun. So dramatic. It's Downton Abbey with revenge. Um, what else is out there? Euphoria. Wow, wow. Wow, wow. So... Euphoria is is the best thing on TV, so watch Euphoria. Congratulations, Power of the Dog, for getting the most Oscar nominations well-deserved. I know a lot of people don't understand this movie and um, are underwhelmed by it, but I mean, look, that's okay. Again, different strokes for different folks, but I... I mean, I knew it. (laughs) Not that the Oscars mean anything or the people who are deciding on those awards are, you know, should be the arbiters of, like, good taste in film. But um, I'm glad for Jane Campion and that whole team because it's such an extraordinary film. Et voila. And congratulations to Justin and Steven Spielberg and the West Side Story team because they also got a load of Oscar nominations, which is exciting for... You know a musical about the olden times, and if Ariana Bose wins an Oscar, I say hooray. She's wonderful in that movie. I mean, we all want Kirsten Dunst to win an Oscar. She's she should have won it for Melancholia, but you know Lars von Trier screwed her over, and here we are, all these years later, and she's great in Power of the Dog. But I mean, Ariana Bose is also great in West Side Story, so who can say? Who can say? Um, I'm going to Seattle this weekend to see my old friend Noelani Pantasco retire. I used to live with Noe and Garrett Anderson in Seattle way, way, way back when. Some 20, whoa, 23 years ago. Well, 22 years ago. Wow, wow, wow. And Noe is retiring. And I'm so happy to leave the city and go reunite with old friends and see her perform. I'm sure it won't be her last time performing, but it'll be symbolic. And it'll be festive. And I'm excited for it. Anyways, it is... Let me see the time I took up my glasses. It is... Twelve I've had a really nice day and um, I'm gonna go back and watch four quartets from the wings tomorrow and then I'm off to Seattle and I hope you're all having a great time and hope you make it to four quartets and I love you and I'll talk to you soon. Okie. Okay. Bye. <laughs>